0: good morning good morning i hope you guys are doing well uh this is your first time here welcome to life point where we say we want to do two things we want to draw life uh, from god that we want to see god as our source and we want to point or reflect um, others Uh, back to him. And so some of you have been around for a long time, certainly grateful that you're here. If you're new, if today's your first day, uh, we're grateful that you are here uh, with us as well as our guests. If you're watching online, we're grateful, uh, obviously, that you are with us as well. You're joining us on week number six of a series. Chad has already mentioned it called New, as we are working our way through the revelation of God to St. John, the last of the chapters uh, in scripture. And we, as we work our way through, we're saying every week that Revelation is more about present hope than it is about a future calendar. That God gave us the Revelation to comfort us, to confront us, not to confuse us in terms of uh, simply focusing on calendars and timelines uh, and and those kinds of things. And I don't know about you, but for me... Um, sometimes every now and then when I'm flipping through the channels on TV and you get to the religious like streak of channels um, on the TV, you're going to come across a televangelist or two. And they what they like to do sometimes is to grab one symbol out of the revelation. Right. And they make a whole big thing that's going to happen just based on that that symbol. And what happens typically uh, is that that doesn't pan out maybe the way that they say it's going to pan out. And so um, the easy thing to do is then they go back and they recalculate, right? They say, oh, we missed this thing. So we recalculate and you make another one of those predictive prophecies. And because it's in the future, it's easy to just kind of kick the can down the road all the time and make another and make another and make another. For instance, if you were here last week, you know that I less than prophetically predicted that the Cincinnati (laughs) Bengals... We're gonna beat the Browns in the season opener uh, last week. So two things about that. Number one, uh, the good news is you're listening to the messages. Because last Sunday afternoon, my email inbox and my phone was full of kind messages from all the Browns fans. The second thing I'll say is that I just want you to know that I went back and I kind of prayed about it, that prophecy and kind of thought about it. And, and, and what I realized is that God was talking to me about the next game that they're gonna play at the end of the season, <laughs> not the first one. See how easy that is? You just kick the can down the, down the road. Um, last week, uh, we started talking about the scroll, right? That only the worthy lamb, the slain lamb uh, presented to us in Revelation was able to, but it had seven seals Uh, on it. And um, after we talk through those seven seals, I want you to think of them like, um, you remember um, when you were young, you saw Russian uh, nesting dolls, right? You had one doll inside of another doll inside of another doll. So the way that the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls of revelation kind of work their way out is that you get to the seventh seal and inside of the seventh seal are seven trumpets. And in the seventh trumpet, there then are seven Bowls they kind of nest inside of each other, and so a lot of scholars, and I tend to agree with this view, say that the the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls are a retelling in three different ways of the judgment or the justice of God that is going to work its way out in the world. So, chapters 8, midway through 8, 9, all the way through chapters 13 are really that that telling of the seals, the trumpets, and the seals get cracked. Uh, the trumpets get sounded, the bowls get poured, and they're all focused on the judgment or the justice of God as it works its way out, as God is restoring all things, and again, making all things uh, new. Uh, an example of that with the trumpets uh, is that the trumpets are, uh, each one of them, as they are sounded, they uh, reflect a connection to uh, the plagues of, Israel, of, um, of Pharaoh uh, in, in Egypt, uh, back in the Old Testament, so there's another Old Testament connection for us uh, there, and kind of the ideas, you work your way towards uh, the end of the trumpets. The idea is, are you going to harden your heart like Pharaoh um, hardened his heart towards God and towards the things that God was doing in the world? Are you going to respond to his activity more along the lines of Moses? So you see this working its way uh, out in the revelation. And as far as justice goes, I'll just say uh, this week and some next week or some in two weeks, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this again in chapters 15 and 16. But the reality is that you and I um, are actually advocates, right, for the justice of God. Sometimes we feel like that's a fearful thing or a scary thing, but we're actually, I don't know, I, I, I don't want a God who is unjust. I don't want a God who looks at the Holocaust, for example, and says, I know that was bad, but you know what? We're all just gonna, we're all gonna be okay. We're gonna, we don't want a God like that. We, yeah, we actually choose, we would choose and want a God who looks at the genocide of innocent children um, that happens um, sometimes in continents, countries around the world. We want justice, ultimate justice. Um, for that, for uh, things like sexual abuse and things like that, where there is no forgiveness, where there is no restoration, where where, where those kinds of things happen. We want, we actually are advocates for the justice of God. And so what we're going to see today is that the justice of God is going to lead us to an eternal spot of either, either indescribable joy for eternity or unspeakable loss for eternity all right, so Revelation chapter 14, we'll jump in there and we'll start in verse one, it says this. Then I looked and there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion. And with him, the 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven, like the roar of rushing water and like a peal of thunder. And the sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song. This is one of those, remember we talked about the 11 new songs that we're introduced to uh, in the revelation. No one could learn the song except the 100. Forty-four thousand who had been redeemed uh, from the earth. So two things that jump out from, from those verses. Number one is that now the Lamb, the, the focus on the lamb has shifted. Now the lamb is standing, not sitting. And that reflects, I think, a shift in the revelation. Um, the first time that Jesus got up off of his throne, left heaven and came to earth, he came to suffer he came as our savior for uh, all of humanity, who is imperfect, who, um, who's uh, fraught with flaws. Jesus came to come and die and pay for our sins to make a way for us to get back to God. He was miraculously resurrected, ascended back to the father. And for the last 2000 years, he has been seated on a throne. But there will come a moment, and that's what I believe Revelation is describing here in chapter 14 that Jesus is gonna get up and that marks a change. The next time that he comes back, he won't come back to suffer, he will come back to conquer. The next time that he returns will be very different from, from his first coming and we see that marked here in the revelation the second thing that we see in those verses um, is the again a reference to the hundred and forty four thousand. now we talked about that last week and i kind of told you who i thought that was and how that was a connection to uh, the old testament it was an old testament reference here that was inserted into the revelation you go back and listen to that last week if you want to know but i'll just say it comes up again and it could mean a number of things and you as you translate interpret the revelation, but it doesn't mean less than the importance of the community of God's people. The gathering we talked about a couple of weeks ago in a corporate sense, but what we also notice, what we also see throughout scripture is the gathering of a smaller group, right? You look at Jesus's time here on earth. There were days where he um, he ministered to large crowds of people, maybe some estimate up to 20,000 people on occasion. And yet, virtually all of his ministry, he did life with a smaller group of people, the 12 uh, disciples. Uh, As you got more towards the end of his life, he had a group of men and women, about 120 that he was consistently with. So you see both of these things. You see a larger group and you see a smaller group. It's the community of God's people that I believe is at least reflected in this group In the Revelation, that's why one of our core um, values—all five of them—are listed out there in the lobby. You can see them up on side. But one of those is authentic community, and we say that authentic community means that we are family. I think what you see reflected in Jesus's relationship with the disciples is that that was the closest thing he had to family here on earth. And we are a spiritual, a spiritual family. It makes today pretty important in the life of our church as we launch our fall term of life groups. Maybe one of the things that makes our church unique, not better than, but unique, is that we have an incredibly high percentage of folks who attend on Sundays who are also in a small group. About 75 to 85% of our average Sunday morning attendance figure is connected in a small group in the context um, of our church, why? Because if that's the way that Jesus did life, if he did life in the context of large group gathering and small group gathering, if he did both of those, it should make sense to us that we would also have both of those reflected in our lives. We believe people grow best in small groups. So today is your opportunity to get connected to a smaller uh, group of people. There's a number of ways you can do that. We have a physical catalog out in the lobby, in the kiosks or at Guest Central. It'll tell you about all of our groups, where they meet, who's leading them, what are they studying, when they meet, all of that information that you need. In the app notes this morning, if you're using the app notes uh, now as we're going through the message, there's a link there to that uh, digital calendar that's on our website. And again, at the, in the app, and it is filterable. Is that a word? <laughs> filterable is a word. You can filter it however you want. You can filter it by location, day of the week, time. You can, and, and choose the group that is best for you. We would invite you to check out as many groups as you want. As many as you want, when you find one, stick in there so that those people can kind of become spiritual family in your life. Our hope, uh, our prayer is that you will use your spiritual gifts in the context of your group. Maybe you have a spiritual gifting in prayer. Hopefully you can lead out in that in your group. Maybe you have the spiritual gift of hospitality, of making people feel welcome. Hopefully that you can utilize that gifting in the context um, of your group. Maybe you have the spiritual gift of serving. And so you can help the group make sure you're connected to one of our serve the city partners and consistently serving throughout the term. Maybe you have a spiritual gift of of teaching or of leadership. Hopefully use that gift in the context. We wanna use our gifts here at LifePoint in the context of our groups. You say, man, Dean, I'm brand new. I don't know. We have bridge groups that sometimes they make an easy first connect for you. We have bridge groups meeting this term, uh, helping people heal from uh, making post-abortive decisions. We have a, a group meeting this term, uh, helping people who are blending uh, families. We have uh, a group meeting this term uh, for people who are just wanting to grow the health uh, of their marriages. Um, we have a group meeting this term, helping people thrive in the context uh, of love love and money. So maybe those are some first step groups for you as you think about the context of building community, spiritual community in your life, because we see that in the life of Jesus. That throughout us coming on Sundays and gathering with a smaller group during the week, purpose of doing two things, connecting relationally, taking the next step in your spiritual journey, we are growing in the grace that God has given us. And at the same time, we recognize that God is always consistently unveiling, revealing the revelation. He is always unveiling his plan. So pick it back up there in, um, in verse, uh, in verse nine, it says this, and a third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image, And receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand. And they too will drink the wine of God's fury which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of holy angels and of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest for those who worship the beast in its image. For anyone who receives uh, the mark of its name. So this third angel comes onto the scene. And remember, we're interpreting the revelation in the context for the original recipient, the original hearers. So what did they hear whenever this was read to them, said to them, um, and, and told to them? And one of the features that jumps out in these verses uh, from chapter 14 is this whole idea of the beast, right? Now, a few weeks ago, whenever Chad taught he introduced us to the concept uh, throughout Revelation, you've got team dragon, that's the bad guys, team lamb, that's the good guys, right? And the A player, if you will, for team dragon is this beast that from here on out in the Revelation will come up uh, over and over and over again. And once again, reaching back to maybe televangelism and how you see this taught a lot is that there's this mark that this beast has um, that for those of us who live in the modern day, maybe we got to be real careful because somehow you may get tricked into taking this mark. And if you do, then your future is kind of, is kind of sealed. That's how it, not always, but that's how it is sometimes taught. And it really strikes uh, anxiety sometimes in people because they're thinking, oh, am I going to do, am I going to do the wrong Thing, uh, for example, uh, one time um, I remember growing up, uh, I was I was taught that the mark of the beast was Visa. <laughs> Don't get a Visa credit card because the V I Roman numerals, right? That's six, right? Then the S is stood for the Greek. Uh, letter sigma, which was the sixth letter of the Greek alphabet. And the A stood for the alphanumeric character in the Arabic alphabet, which was also the sixth letter of the So there you go, you got a six, six. Now look, I don't know much about Arabic numerals and all that. I know a little bit about Greek and sigma is actually the 18th letter of the Greek alphabet, not the sixth. Um, But if you divide 18 by three, (laughs) I think so what are we thinking, right? Some, you know, the, the odd thing here, I will say, um, as much as I kind of kid around about that. Um, so uh, there, there, there's a reference um, to that. It's called gematria, right? Where you assign letters, numbers in, in ancient texts. And there is something to it, um, I, I think. Uh, there's, something, there's something to that. So like when we talk about, uh, and like, like Roman numerals. That's that's, that's a good reference. So like the V is 5, the X is 10, right? Like that. Well, the Hebrew world, they actually used this idea of gematria, that numbers and letters kind of coincided. And it is interesting that if um, you spell out, for example, Caesar Nero, which he would have been Caesar probably couple of decades, maybe before Caesar, this is the one uh, who fed uh, Christians to the lions. Um, his, the, the gematria of that is um, not the number, the, the 666, but over it's a six and six and a six. I tend to think, along, I go along the line of, of thinking that most likely that is the reference here because the book was written to hebrew listeners so it would have been a reference to the roman caesars the roman empire and the roman uh the roman world and their world now for us we gosh we always have a lot of questions and it makes sense about how is this going to work out in terms of a timeline or a calendar so let me just quickly give you a basic of three views that tend to dominate uh the landscape uh, when it comes to modern Christianity and the reign and rule of Jesus in the context of his return and of his justice. Uh, the first one is uh, classic, what we will call classic Premillennialism, right? That means Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years. He's going to return, right? He's going to return. Believer's going to meet him in the air in an event we typically call the rapture. He's going to reign for a thousand years. And at the end of that, we'll kind of begin the restoration and the newness um, of all things. Um, if you read much in Christianity, um, a modern uh, scholar that you maybe would come, it would be John Piper, um, would kind of adhere to this or a few hundred years ago, maybe Charles Spurgeon, if you've heard that name, that this was the view that was held by them. The second one, uh, we would call as a millennialism. Ah means the negation of, it kind of means no millennium. Um, but people who adhere to millennialism, uh, they don't think there's not a millennium. They just think it's being worked out right now between Christ's uh, first coming and his second coming. Right now, it's all kind of being worked out. The last one is post millennialism, which means they believe that Jesus is going to return at the end um, of this thousand year period. And not all, but most uh, post-millennialists would say um, it's not a literal 1,000 years, but it's a number that represents a long time. And then we're currently working our way that direction towards the the bodily return uh, of Jesus. So those are three um, three, uh, uh, different views. Um, uh, The second view there, I, I left that out um, Augustine, Calvin, and Luther would adhere to the amillennialist kind of view, and then the postmillennialist view, uh, Jonathan Edwards probably studied him in English, uh, maybe in American, uh, um, uh, or studying him in English, American history, um, sinners in the hands of an angry God. He led the first great awakening uh, here uh, in the United States. So, so I guess all that to say, there are very godly, very um, incredible leaders who would adhere to all three of those views. I would encourage you to study and to figure out what it is uh, that you believe in terms of how that is going uh, to to work out. And you're probably gonna say, yeah, but what do you think? Um, I grew up, I was uh, taught classic premillennialism and I tend to lean uh, that direction Although I will say the older that I get and the more I read Revelation, um, I do the post-millennial view makes more and more sense uh, to me. But I I tend to lean that classic uh, pre-millennialism when you're like, well, why didn't God just make it clear? Like, why didn't he just tell us? And I think that's because uh, as human beings, we want a calendar. God wants a relationship. Human beings wanna, we want to know how things are gonna work out so that we can plan our plan based on God's plan and try and get everything right. But what God wants from us is a daily relationship where we are walking this life out with him, which leads me to the, uh, to the third idea down in verse 12. It says this, <clears throat> this calls for, check this, patient endurance the justice of God, the restoration of all things new. Like this does not call for trying to figure it all out and have all your T's crossed in your eye. This calls for the patient endurance on the part of God's people who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. So from the revelation on, Blessed are, how many people have you known that you have loved, right? Who have, who have died in relationship with Christ. Man, they're blessed. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. For they will, keyword, rest from their labor, for their deeds uh, will follow them. Um, in the clearest way that I can say this to you, Eternity without God will be horrible. Everywhere it's described in scripture, it's terrible. It's awful. When I, I remember um, when I was a kid, um, I was probably a freshman, sophomore. I walked into a, a locker room and some guys were talking and they had gone to church and whatever somebody had talked about. Eternity separated from God and one of the guys who was older than me, he was a senior, he's like, hell's going to be awesome, man. Ozzy's going to be there. That's the first time I ever thought about, like, wait a minute. And as kindly as I can say it to you, it's not going to be awesome. With all due respect to Ozzy Osbourne, right? If I don't, I don't know his eternity, but it's not going to be Awesome. Because hell, for all the things that it will be and all the things that it is, it is at least the absence of the presence of God. No restraining influence of the Spirit's work there. People are left to their ultimate ends, their ultimate divide. It's going to be, and you're like, well, Dean, I don't like that. I don't, I don't like it that it's gonna be that way. That's why the angel offers you an opportunity. See, this angel comes and this angel offers an opportunity for an understanding for you and I today to turn our hearts God's direction, to have relationship with him, to step into the wonder of the blessing of the cross of Jesus dying for you, paying for your sins so that you can step into relationship, give the authority and control of your life to God. You have an opportunity right now, right now, today, to take advantage of that. Because I know the way this works is that you and I tend to think about the justice of God, like God's, like he's throwing a temper tantrum, right? Like he's, and we tend to project onto God our emotions and the ways that we react or act on our emotions. God's not like that. This is not a tantrum on his part. None of it. I remember the first time I experienced that in one of my kids. Um, our oldest was two years old. Um, Angie and I, we had gone up to uh, Nashville from Memphis where we lived um, at the time, and we were at a Chili's restaurant, and. And I mean, it was, just, it was, life was just great, right? We had this, this little baby, like the Folks family, right? And the Grigsby family, her side of the family. Like we got together biologically, we made this child and she was beautiful and we're at this Chili's restaurant and it had never happened before. And all of a sudden she lost her mind. She's screaming, throwing her head back, arching her back, throwing food everywhere. And I was like, this must be the Grigsby coming out of her because I'm on my side of the family, right? And we tend to think about the revelation like it is just gonna be God just throwing this tantrum. That's not God. And like I said to you earlier, this is the justice that we've longed for and hoped for. The difference for you and me is that we cannot long for this for others and think that we ourselves are exempt. So the good news for you The good news for me is that right now, today is an opportunity. We see a little bit of what that's like in the middle of verse 11. uh, There in chapter 14, it says this, and there is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast um, or its image. Maybe, one of the worst things about eternity separated from God is a life without rest. I was trying to think of the best way to reflect that, and I don't know. I don't know what, what that would be, uh, but if you've ever been a parent, teacher, coach, mentor, you've ever worked with kids, and especially little kids, you know uh, the time of day that little kids hate the most, right? There's all there's different times of day, right? There's breakfast time. There's you know, lunch time. There's playtime, There's Time of day that kids hate the most—it's bedtime, right? And the time that parents love the most—it's <laughs> bedtime, all right. The, maybe maybe the most difficult job in the world maybe is raising little humans, right? And you get to the end of the day and it's bedtime, and they hate bedtime, and you love bedtime because as we get older, we realize the necessity of rest. Eternity without God will be a life without rest. There won't be emotional rest. There won't be physical rest. There won't be spiritual rest. But to get there, you and I have to step over the cross of Jesus. We have to ignore the sacrifice of God made in behalf of our sins. God gave us the example all the way back in Genesis, right? He worked six days and on the seventh day he rested, right? He, um, he mandated Sabbath as a spiritual picture of what you and I are looking for. We know this. We, we even use this in acronyms, right? We use this in our phraseology. We talk about someone whenever they, uh, whenever they pass away and we say they were laid to because we all want rest. We have an acronym for people, right? That sometimes in the past has been put on tombstones, R-I-P, what's the first word? Because we all want rest. And so we have a savior who says, come to me, all you who labor, or heavy laden. Anybody heavy laden? Anybody carrying some stuff? And you will find rest. That's why the scriptures call him not just peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He is. He is our eternal. Rest, Our eternal shalom from God, our Sabbath from God is the person of Christ in whom we will find ultimate rest. You, I, we have that opportunity to come to him. If you are outside of the faith, today is your opportunity. The scriptures say, repent and return that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Today's your opportunity. Let's pray together. When we have already sang, we have already echoed the praises of heaven today, that glory and honor and power, God would be, uh, do your name. And God, as much as we can, as a human congregation can, our desire is to magnify you, to roll into, to lean into your rest. And God, we say this morning that part of the good news is that someday you are going to right every every wrong. And God, that just makes us incredibly grateful for the grace that you offer us, the opportunities you offer us, the mercy that you offer uh, to us. And so God our prayer today is that we are all that we are all partakers of the Sabbath rest that only you offer. And so now God we sing that you would be magnified in our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.